Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the yogic and yokelish Brent. <laughs> yokelish. What does, yep. what does the first word mean, if you don't mind? Uh, having to do with yoga. Oh, yoga. So you're yoga. into yoga and you're I... a yokel. Which I think would be a really good marketing scheme. Yes, I've never done yoga personally, and I should try. I'm extremely not flexible, so you got to learn. You got to do the yoga, get yep. into it. I will, and then you'll go far. You'll go far. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Guess who's here? Who? It's Forrest. It's me. I'm here forever and ever, <laughs> forever oh, and for... ever and ever. Oh, we can't get rid of him. <laughs> no. I actually have done yoga before, by the way. I've done even this weird like sauna yoga where you're in, just covered in sweat in this hot room. Oh, you? the Bikram yoga. Yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah, my fiance hates it. My fiance is a big yoga fan. She hates the Bikram yoga. <laughs> I hated it too. Is that the yoga where you get really nauseous or no? Oh, you just feel like shit and you ache all over and uh, you just want to kill yourself. It's terrible. <laughs> That's <laughs> the pain good. leaving the body. That's nice. the key. You got to get it out of there. That's the idea. That's true. And before we begin, one thing we wanted to say right up front is we got a lot of love from our previous episode, especially our coverage of Serge Ben-Hayon and Universal Medicine. And we're really grateful for everyone who reached out. We even got a shout out from Esther Rocket herself, which was a big, big win for us. And we're really glad she enjoyed it. And we got some some fan responses, uh, people who were former members of the cult or who lost somebody to the cult and really excited that we could reach out to these to these folks and make an episode that made them laugh at least so they can get that at least out of this whole crappy experience. And also a reminder, if you enjoy the episode, just to let everyone know, if you give us a rating and review on iTunes, that's really big for us. So, hey, if you liked it, do that. And if you don't, hey, you can give us a one star review. That works, too. Also, we have some updates. We've updated our website, nondarecallitordinary.com, and now you can browse our episodes by series, so hopefully it's a little easier to find the episodes that you want to listen to. And we're working on some more improvements to make it easier to search and all that kind of stuff. And another big announcement on our website is we are now accepting cryptocurrency donations. Woo! Yeah, one of our uh, co-hosts, Forrest in particular, big crypto nerd, <laughs> and he made the suggestion and we want to keep him happy. Yeah, thanks thanks for telling everyone, Dylan. Now they're all going to come after my uh, my crypto. They're going to try to hack me now. Thanks for You're welcome. It. You're welcome. That is what we want. Hack Forrest and we'll we'll give you a shout out. <laughs> along with all of his money. And if you want to donate to us, if you want to donate some cryptocurrency, you can head over to nondarecalledordinary.com slash donate, and you'll find our addresses for Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin. So we got a smorgasbord. So what are we talking about today, Dylan? Well, today, speaking of cults, we have a new series on an American cult. Yeah. You know, America's number one, especially when it comes to cults. Yes. And specifically, we are talking about Lyndon LaRouche and his political cult, the NCLC. And we're talking about this now because he just recently passed away a few weeks ago, 96 years young. Oh. And I think I think he just died of being old as fuck. 
And he's been on our agenda from the beginning. We knew we were going to talk about him one day, but we figured we'd push him up the docket, talk about him now. He's truly a fascinating figure from a fairly ordinary Marxist leftist thinker, switched to the right, got into Star Wars with Reagan, went to jail, thought Obama was Hitler, and then he died. That's basically his whole life. <laughs> what a resume. And over these next few episodes, we're going to dig a little deeper. But that's, you know, the overall story of Lyndon LaRouche. I do, re- I do remember looking into the, or when I was doing the research for this podcast, I came across a book or a pamphlet, and it was called The Obama Murders, I think, that he, that he wrote. So, <laughs> Ooh, so uh, yeah. He, he was Hitler, yep. and he murdered people, which is beyond <laughs> Hitler because... Yep. Hitler never personally murdered people. He always had his goons Himself do it. Self-murdered, yeah. Right, but see, Obama True. took it to True. the next degree there with uh, extreme <laughs> behavior, wow. unfortunately. Wow. Well, at least he didn't outsource it, because that would have been really, <laughs> really terrible. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. Lyndon LaRouche was born in Rochester, New Hampshire in 1922 as Lyndon Hermile LaRouche Jr. And he was born to his parents who were active Quakers. And kind of interesting Quakers at that, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. Also, just a little tidbit. His parents were named Lyndon Hermile LaRouche Sr. and Jesse Lenore Veer or Ver or Ware. In fact, if you want to, if you go to the webpage www wargs.com forward slash political forward slash LaRouche dot html. You can see LaRouche's family tree all the way up to his great, 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 great grandparents. Wow. And the authors of the list, by the way, write the following material on this, on the immediate ancestry of Lyndon LaRouche should not be considered either exhaustive or definitive, but rather as a first draft. A first draft. I like that. That's the kind of humility that you won't find in Lyndon Rouge himself. So I'm glad, I'm glad his acolytes are really keeping that part on so he doesn't have to. Yes. So many greats, too, that he goes back to just being a fish. Yeah, his uh, great-great-grandfather was a trout, I believe. LaRouche <laughs> described himself as a child as an egregious child, wouldn't say an ugly duckling, but a nasty duckling. What a nasty duckling. <laughs> yeah, nasty, nasty kid. And because of his parents' Quaker religion, they forbid any kind of violence, even for self-defense. And LaRouche got picked on quite a lot as a kid because of this, because he wouldn't fight back, because his parents said, you can't. And this began a lifelong hatred of all things British for some reason, because he accused his bullies of being, quote, unwitting followers of David Hume. <laughs> I guess because they denied the, worst. the existence of causation, maybe, or I, I don't really know. I'm not sure the connection here, but hey, that's what it is. We're not here to understand. We're here to describe <laughs> After high school, he went to Northeastern University, but dropped out because he was, quote, one of those prodigies who knew more than his teachers. Okay, so say this is true, which of course it's not. Uh, shouldn't he like then just go to attend a better school where he, you know, where he wasn't smarter than his teachers? Well, I don't know. He, you know, he would, but no right. such school exists. Yeah, so. exactly. Oh, that's, that's the that's, problem. That's a good point. Yep. Forgot. Because of Lyndon LaRouche's Quaker upbringing, when World War II came around, he declared himself a conscientious objector, and he was assigned to a civilian public service camp in New Hampshire. And it's here that, according to one story, he was, quote, converted from Kant to Marx by Communist Party members. <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, that's hilarious, because that makes about as much sense as, I was converted from Descartes to Ludwig von Mises by libertarians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
like what the fuck? I was really focused on you know the the distinction between the mind and the body, but now it's all about that Federal Reserve. That's the only <laughs> thing I think about. Yeah, slightly different, slightly different focuses there. But he eventually got sick of the camp life, which he compared to quote a soft model of a Nazi concentration camp, and so he decided to join the army instead as a non-combatant officer. He served as a medic in India and Burma while he was in during World War II. And while in Calcutta, he contacted the Communist Party of India. He returned to the U.S. convinced that, quote, no revolutionary movement was going to be brought into being in the USA unless I brought it into being. Oh, you know, indeed, LaRouche set lofty goals for himself. He would go on to write in his autobiography titled The Power of Reason, quote, <laughs> Making men in my own image was the conscious articulation of my central purpose from approximately 1946. Making first, one must become adequately qualified to accomplish that purpose. That task, especially as I saw the methodological hopelessness of existing institutions known to me, prescribed assimilating and developing a body of knowledge adequate to the undertaking to come. In the immediate post-war period, I set myself the goal of acquiring the necessary degree of adequacy between my 33rd and 35th birthdays. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, and as Forrest just showed us, Lelouch was the standard for all to be measured. Yes. He wrote that he was more than annoyed with the likes of American trade union leftist Vincent Ray Dunn, for example, who, according to LaRoche, quote, repeatedly professed to me not to understand Marx's economics a preposterous attitude for a man who had educated himself in so many ways. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to him. After all, in his pamphlet entitled Creating a Republican Labor Party, LaRouche writes that, quote, trade unionists are the best capitalists. Ooh, burn. <laughs> that's a big no. burn back in this day. <laughs> that is rough. In leftist circles, that's as harsh as you can get. Well, he could be, in a, at least he didn't say trade unionists are the best imperialists. So it That's true. But he there, did there scale is back one up. level above that insult for sure. All right. So let's look into his post-war dip into Marxist uh, political organizations. LaRouche joined the Trotskyite Socialist Worker Party in either 1948 or 1949. There's, if you look at various sources, they give different answers here. And he remained with them until 1957. To compensate for the SWP leadership's failure to recognize his talents and genius, he decided to adopt the pen name Lynn Marcus. And there's a few theories about where this came from. One theory is that it's a play on the words Lenin and Marx. Another is that it has to do with his army nickname, which for some reason was Marco Polo. I haven't seen any explanation for why he was given that nickname. But my theory is that it's based on his hometown of Lynn, Massachusetts. Lynn Marcus, uh, Lynn, Massachusetts kind of sounds similar. Nice. Yeah. So after leaving the Socialist Workers Party, he tried forming other left wing movements, quote, from scratch with Carol Schnitzer who was a, uh, a former girlfriend, and he didn't have a lot of success. He tried forming a group called the Spartacists and another called the Workers League. You know, so he's doing all this stuff. He's just not very good at being a Marxist agitator. So what was he doing in the meantime? You know, what is this champion of the proletariat doing to earn an income? First, he worked for his father as a consultant in his shoe manufacturing company, and then he started a consulting company of his own, which, quote, pioneer the use of computer simulations to help corporations reduce labor costs. So <laughs> truly a Marxist wow. from beginning to end. <laughs> LaRouche was side-eyeing the SWP. He, quote, came to understand the strong strain of 
schmachmanite, Stalinophobia, and all of the SWP's trade union policies from 1938 on. You know... you know, I got to say, Brent, I think Stalinophobia is a healthy phobia to have, personally. Just <laughs> yeah, opinion. I got I to gotta agree that's, with that one. Yeah, that's probably yeah. true, actually. But actually, you know, no, no way. It's just another derangement syndrome. There's so many now. There's TDS, yeah, which SDS. is, you know, we all know Trump derangement syndrome. There's PDS, Putin derangement syndrome. And LDS, that's that's not Latter-day Saints anymore. That's LaRouche derangement syndrome. So, yeah, I think after all this research, we definitely all have a very healthy dose of, of LDS, I gotta yes. say. I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So LaRouche continues saying, I cease to regard any SWP member as a qualified revolutionary leader and view them as rather a custodial staff keeping premises warmed and aired out for the arrival of actual revolutionary leaders. A real revolutionary leader would have to be developed. You know, and I wonder who that real revolutionary leader is going to be. Yeah, who could it be? Who could it be? So you see, the leaders of the SWP, they never really intended to expel LaRouche from the group. As LaRouche explains, quote, that is not the way most communists and Trotskyist groups work. The Comintern method, also Healy's method, is to isolate and publicly degrade dangerous individuals, and once they are isolated and broken, assimilate them into one's machine as useful party hacks. LaRouche is just like the James Bond of being really annoying. Yes, he's so, really he's also he's really good, good, and we're gonna see this over and over again of very explicitly and accurately describing his own methods, but projecting them onto other groups. It it is the most (laughs) extreme form of projection I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, he's really good at it. Yes. If you took all of his writings on like, we'll find out the CIA and the British and, and these other communist organizations, and if you just change the names of the organizations to LaRouche, it would be an incredible book. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah, and also, you know, the one thing we have to keep in mind is that LaRouche hated centrists. Like, that's just the worst. They are the true enemy of the people. You can be, you can embrace right-wing extremism and, you know, eventually, well, eventually we'll talk about that, and left-wing extremism, but God damn it, if you're a sensible centrist, that is just the Disgusting. worst. Disgusting. Yeah, it's LaRouche gross. to the left of me, Steve Bannon to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> I think that's the right place to be. Yes, Absolutely. So, you know, he's trying to develop computer simulations to get people fired. He's (laughs) failing to start up these other left-wing organizations. But his time to shine really came with the Columbia University strike. And this is, you know, starting at about 1966. At this time, he was giving courses at the Free University in Greenwich Village. And while he was giving these courses on on Hegel and Marx and all this kind of stuff, he attracted students from the Students for a Democratic Society, the SDS, and the Maoist-oriented Progressive Labor Party. The only people I hate more than the Students for a Democratic Society are the Democratic Society of Students. But even then, (laughs) not as much as I detest the Student Society for Democracy, splitters. You joke, sir. But that really is, when you read this history of these kind of 60s and 70s Marxist organizations, that's basically their job. Their job is to have meetings and to hate other leftist groups. That seems to be, that's apparently how you build a communist society. Uh, Tons of meetings and tons of of splitter talk. Very set of a contest-esque. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Exactly. So he eventually, all these there were students from the SDS and the Progressive Labor Party, and they began to become more LaRouchians than having allegiance to their former organizations. And it started, the first name for this you know, new LaRouchian group was the SDS Labor Committee. 
And it's this group that really spearheaded these student strikes on Columbia University. It got him a lot of name recognition after this Columbia strike, and he got a lot of cachet from being kind of the leader of these strikes. And so eventually the SDS Labor Committee turned into the National Caucus of SDS Labor Committees, SDS being dropped in 1969. And this is the official form of his organization, the NCLC. Yeah, splitters. Yeah, there's more (laughs) splitting. And it's not going to stop after this, let me tell you. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, we've got the Workers' League and their weekly bulletin. So I'm going to quote here from, this is LaRouche speaking here. The, the Workers' League publisher of the weekly bulletin tabloid is a small performing road company whose essential political position is vulgarly squatting outside the real universe. Thus, <laughs> <laughs> thus, thus freed from the encumbrances of earthly astronomical science, the bulletin has asserted that the planets of the solar system actually orbit around the sun of one Michael Pablo of Paris. It's actually Michael Pablo. So... You know, we need an E.T. physicist to decode this sentence. Quick, get me Paul Potter. Yeah, we need Paul Potter in here. Yeah, LaRouche's LaRouche's genius is derived from the fact that he's an E.T. guy, I think. think (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. Quick, someone get him an anus to probe. Stat. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a black vortex in the middle of his head. So I think this all is beginning (laughs) to make a lot more sense. Yes. I'm sure if you took like an MRI of his brain, it would just be blurry as fuck. Really blurry. <laughs> Which, again, um, would be consistent with the yeah, uh, potterology. Yeah. <laughs> Blurriness. To, so to celebrate an increase in membership, the Bulletin, quote, offered more ambitious revelations in cosmology that the entire universe orbits about the corpse of Joseph Stalin. Oh. So is this like a science journal? What is happening? Yeah, this is, is this just a long-running cosmology analogy? <laughs> or is this, is he really talking about, <laughs> is he really taking this seriously? At this point, it's hard to tell. It is hard to tell. Honestly, I'm so being he, triggered because I have Stalin derangement syndrome, so I'm a little <laughs> ups, kind of upset about this idea. Oh, man. Wouldn't it be great if eventually we do build, uh, eventually we are capable of space travel and we go to the black hole in the center of our galaxy and the corpse of Joseph Stalin is there? <laughs> and that would be great. <laughs> what a weird turn of events. Here's here's another important sentence I found in, in the 1970 paper I was reading from, written by LaRouche, about Workers League. Quote, actually, the spirit does not become flesh, but ectoplasm. So we get a call. Mm, we get yep. a call. Linda LaRouche. Actually, ghosts may be one of the only one one ac- uh, wacky idea that LaRouche doesn't embrace. So, wow, it's the, well, o- the only one. Maybe he does. Who knows? LaRouche calls the Workers' League Weekly Bulletin a chachmanite cult. <laughs> I really enjoy when cult leaders who call out other cult leaders. It's it's fun. I like that. Oh uh, yeah, you know, oh, I want yeah, to lead a, a cultless cult group. You will not doubt me when I say <laughs> you shall never blindly follow the leader. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> The remaining members of the Bolton organization, quote, purged itself of all connections to LaRouche and its principal members while celebrating the reduction in membership, political competence, and moral competence by, com- by preparing to leap from the status of a propaganda society into a full-fledged Leninist party and 30 members workers league. By the way, this is the most boring purge film in the franchise. So it's <laughs> oh, not as, definitely. Really the good. communist yeah. purge. Yeah, that's way boring. Especially, I mean, these are all middle class suburban pseudo intellectuals. So, you know, it's not going to be very exciting <laughs> right. when you watch it. All right. So he's, you know, now that he's done throwing shade on the uh, the bullets in here, we can get onto the kind of the real start of the NCLC. 
So to start, they had some very modest goals. They wanted to start slowly. They wanted control of the American labor movement within two years and establishment of a world's workers government within five. So we're starting slow. <laughs> Jesus. Some Paul wow. Potter level humility here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And if you disagree, you're a dilettante ignoramus. <laughs> and after his girlfriend Schnitzer left in 1972, LaRouche became even more dictatorial with the group, labeling dissenters CIA agents or having a quote mother problem <laughs> was, was that directed towards mothers in his movement who dissented or was that for men who have a mother problem like say Mike Pence has a mother problem I think it's yeah the Mike Pence version of a mother problem I think okay. Is, okay. Is, okay yeah exactly that makes more sense so their dingy headquarters had tight security in the form of labor committee youths wielding nunchucks <laughs> oh, oh man you know Tucker Carlson <laughs> sure would love to just have that image on his show I mean that's beyond anti <laughs> Antifa there. That's, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's teenage terrible. mutant people. ninja Antifa. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just people using nunchucks to break Starbucks windows. Just like, okay. <laughs> Lord he be. So by 1974, they had around 1,200 members, and at this point, they even were going international, recruiting Greek and West German communists. Since they were more, quote, sophisticated and ruthless than LaRouche's pampered recruits from American suburban homes, they became his primary <laughs> lieutenants. Wow. I mean, you mean Europeans make better movies than Americans and they make better leftist henchmen? I mean, man, I, why am I in this country? <laughs> yeah, we got to get out of here. We want to see the good films and we want to meet the good Marxists. We got yes. to go. So that's the kind of the basics of the NCLC. But no fledgling political cult would be complete without just a beautiful coterie of conspiracy theories. <laughs> so let's get into those. The primary target was the Rockefeller family for LaRouche. He really hated Nelson Rockefeller, who I believe was vice president at this time. And according to LaRouche, the Rockefeller family, by controlling the CIA and having independent agents at all levels of society, was basically responsible for everything bad that happened ever. Yeah, in fact, LaRouche tells us that, quote, the CIA is nothing but Rockefeller's fist. And you can <laughs> wow. shove that fist right up your assumption of what you thought I was going to say there. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Thanks. That uh, took hours to write. Based on what he thinks the CIA is doing, which we're going to get into <laughs> later, that's not too far <laughs> off. True. So Rockefeller and the CIA and friends, they were even plotting a nuclear holocaust, which thankfully only the NCLC could prevent. Nice. Everyone who wasn't in the NCLC, including former members, other leftist groups, and professors who didn't think LaRouche was a genius, were considered enemies and even, quote, CIA dupes. Oh, man. I mean, duped by idiots that couldn't even get WMDs in Iraq right. It's fucking sad. Jesus. It's terrible. <laughs> so at first, the targets of NCLC's abuse just thought they were kind of amusing weirdos especially their promotion of, quote, expanded tractor production on urban college campuses and nicknaming Vice President Nelson Rockefeller Fang. Ooh. Well, I mean, in their defense, Nelson Rockefeller was a confirmed vampire. So oh, that's, that's a just, good point. Yeah, they were actually right. About it, I obviously. didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Woo. The yep, more it's a fact, the more, you know. But sadly, their amused attitude would not last for long. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. But for, okay, so first, let's. Uh, LaRouche offers us some helpful definitions of words we think we know, but he needs to help clear up for us. Oh, good. Like, good. So, for example, the word opportunism, according to LaRouche, means the essence of capitalist society's practice for all classes. Okay. That's okay. okay. So, uh, cliqueism. 
the ordinary pussy secretions of family life in a capitalist society. Wow. Jesus Christ. So, well, he, cl- he clarifies here for any confusion. So, admittedly, there is a certain kind of old socialist rottenness of people within the movement, which ultimately does make old socialists less viable than fresh recruits. Once one has taken one's commitment to socialism too often into the realm of organizational corruption, cliqueism, unprincipled factionalism, etc., one loses the moral ability to distinguish between socialist practice and the ordinary business of petty shopkeepers' knavery. Uh, and that's a good good phrase. So such morally senile socialists may still be able to co- contribute to the movement, provided they are given the moral equivalent of, quote, seeing eye dogs kept on a firm moral leash by a strong socialist <laughs> leadership. <laughs> End quote. You know, <laughs> you, you know though that even if you keep your moral dog on its moral leash, he's still gonna take a moral shit, and you'll likely step on it with your moral shoe. <laughs> yeah. So that's and there and therein lies the moral of the lesson. Yes, don't be too moral. <laughs> <laughs> now that's all very amusing, but it's about to get real serious oh, real shit. quick. Oh God. The NCLC went from being a fairly standard, if goofy, Marxist organization that was fairly typical at this time. Between 1973 and 74 is when they transitioned into the full-blown political cult that we all know and love today. And it proceeded in three stages. First, LaRouche ordered NCLC members into street fights with rival leftist organizations, which was known as Operation Mop-Up. Then he began ego-stripping sessions to humiliate members over any cowardice or ideological hesitation during Operation Mop-Up. And third, he created an atmosphere of hysteria in the organization about assassination plots against himself. So Operation Mop-Up was started by a spat between the NCLC and the Communist Party, also known as the CPUSA. The Communist Party accused the NCLC of being a CIA front group, while the NCLC accused the Communist Party of being an FBI front group. You know, I find it pretty disappointing that the NCLC would stop accusing the CIA of literally everything they perceive to be bad just because the CPUSA stole it from them. I agree, but maybe they were just trying to show that the Communist Party, they weren't even worthy of the CIA plot. They only got up to the FBI level. (laughs) But that that might be, I might be being too nice to them. I see, no, it's an insult. It's a subtle jab against them that I didn't see before. So that makes a lot of sense coming from LaRouche. Yeah, he's definitely subtle, (laughs) if uh, if we've learned anything. So in early 1973, the NCLC was organizing a conference in Philadelphia to build a national organization to organize welfare recipients and the unemployed. The Communist Party accused the NCLC of being racists and boycotted the conference. And instead of attending, they picketed the conference and drove a sound truck through, and this is a quote, the black community comparing the NCLC to the Ku Klux Klan. Ah, yes. Vintage black community outreach technique. Yeah. yeah, and that came from the book. One of the primary sources is Dennis King's Lyndon LaRouche and the New American Fascism. And that's all he said. He just said they drove a truck through the black community. So I'm not really sure. Wow what exactly that means. So moving on, enraged, but not aged. Sorry. Yep. Not aged yet. LaRouche wrote an article for the NCLC newspaper, New Solidarity called Death of the CPUSA. So there's some of that subtlety we were talking about. And in this article, LaRouche explained exactly what he had in mind. Quote, 
Readers will obtain a taste of our ruthlessness in the way we proceed to finish off the Communist Party. We shall conduct the most ruthless mopping up operation against each of its ragged formations. Ooh, it's so hardcore, they'll pull out the scrubbing bubbles and pine saw even. Oh, they're taking that metaphor all the way. Oh, shit. At a meeting discussing this operation, LaRouche could sense some fear in the audience. Quote, I know you better than you know yourselves, and for the most part, you're full of crap. This isn't a debating society anymore. <laughs> and that crap has got to come out somehow, but I'm foreshadowing too much. Sorry. Yes. Do not give away the great secret of LaRouche. <laughs> a front page editorial in New Solidarity made the janitorial euphemism official. Quote, Operation Mop Up, the class struggle is for keeps. <laughs> so this article continues, quote, we must dispose of this stinking corpse, the Communist Party, to ensure that it cannot act as a host for maggots and other parasites preparing future scabby Nixonite attacks on the working class. If we were to vacillate, we would be guilty of betraying the human race. Our job is to pulverize the Communist Party. By the way, everyone, another announcement. There are refreshments in the back if anyone is interested. Hot coffee, cookies, finger sandwiches. Enjoy. What a, what a meeting. But uh, between, you know, the cookies and coffee and other refreshments, it wasn't enough to attack the Communist Party on the streets. NCLC members also had to kill the Communist Party inside themselves. <laughs> this was explained in the article, The CP Within Us, which said the NCLC members must, quote, expunge the inner voice of cowardice and hesitation, i.e. the Communist Party, within each NCLC member. Oh, I know you can love me. Just open the doors to the gulag in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> the gulag inside your heart. <laughs> Oh man! See, that's interesting because I think the Communist Party is inside my pancreas. Actually, I don't think they're in the heart. Oh yeah, yeah, might be. <laughs> Larouche began to require street fighting training for NCLC members. "Quote: Members were organized into flying squads, armed with metal pipes, clubs, and nunchucks. The idea was to go into action as many phalanxes with the nunchuck wielders in the center." Oh god! And I was really confused by this because nunchucks aren't that long. Like, yeah. So how long were these nunchucks where they could be in the center and have people with metal pipes and such on the outside? All I'm saying is a lot of folks on the edges of these phalanxes, they're getting hit in the head. I mean, there's no way to avoid it. Yeah, I, you know, I really think that uh, we could have used just one Pete heads, head sack here with an axe and, you know, we'd have been set. The only stipulation is that the Communist Party members would have to be drumming, but... <laughs> yeah, that's, be, uh, you you the infiltrate chest. the Communist Party, you get them to believe that, you know, the way to take the means of production away from the bourgeoisie is to drum, get a drum circle going. <laughs> and then Pete Hegseth is just, you know, left and right, just axing people. I think we need to make some Teenage Mutant Ninja communist action figures and <laughs> yeah. they'll have... See, the thing is, though, there's, I see metal pipes, clubs, and nunchucks, but we need a fourth one because there's four of them. So there's got to be a fourth weapon. Yeah, some scythe. They need some, you know, radical psy yeah. action going on. It, you know, honestly, yeah. this is like all fucked up shit. And, um, but I, I, for some weird reason, when you're reading this, I'm all I'm picturing is like West Side Story. It's like, just like, I, it's not. <laughs> yeah, just a lot as, of snapping. Yeah, it's just not as intense as it should be in my head. I, I would love to see a West Side Story <laughs> remake about this, about Operation Mop Up. <laughs> West Side Mop Up. When you you're it. a splitter, you split all the way. <laughs> Except it's called East Side Story because it's uh, yeah. East of the Iron Curtain. So. Oh, that's true. Nice. And so all of this buildup is going on. And despite earlier calling violence politically stupid, they would soon gloat about sending opponents to the hospital 
after clashes. Oh, so basically a Trump campaign speech. Then. Got it. Yep. You know, again, no. again, Brent, like in the UFO series, <laughs> uh, your Trump analogy falls short, sir. Mm. Trump never called violence politically stupid. Oh, that's actually <laughs> that's true. true. <laughs> so that's a good just point. Just remember that. Yeah. yeah. And so now we're going to get into the official beginning of Operation Mop Up. Release the janitors. Kraken versus janitor. <laughs> Rated R. Opens everywhere Friday. <laughs> Orange and teal for all the communists out there. <laughs> yes. So the attacks began in New York and then spread to Philadelphia, Buffalo, and where I'm currently at, Detroit. It would have been great to see all this. Often street fighters would be brought in from outside cities so they wouldn't be recognized. They broke up public meetings and invaded leftist bookstores. They even beat up a partially paralyzed activist on crutches. Oh, my God. Oh, you say leftist bookstores, so basically Barnes & Noble? Oh, yeah. You know what's hilarious, Brent? You and I would notice um, two of our managers at Barnes & Noble, store managers, were ultra right-wing. Yes, so true. Yep. Still, though, Michael Savage listeners would come in claiming we were hiding his new book. We should have just shelved them but flipped them to hide the cover. I remember those days, you know, like when the true political warriors of our era would come into Barnes and Noble and flip all the political books over that they didn't agree with. These are the true <laughs> patriots and you know brave heroes of our great nation. Actually, that's why if dude, if I ever write a book, I'm I'm gonna sh- just show my liberal, you know, I'm gonna show my liberal bias in it, obviously. But I'm just gonna uh, you know have the same image on the the back as I do the front. That way, you flip it over is just totally pointless. It's like oh, actually, <laughs> there good, was yeah. somebody that did flipped over an Obama book. And he's got yeah, Obama smiling on the same. front cover. And then on the back, it's got Obama smiling and waving. So I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was perfect. That's awesome. Gotcha. And just Boom. to let everyone know, this was a left and right wing phenomenon. Everyone yes, loved that. was their true. favorite that form of protest. Fair and balanced. Yeah, fair and balanced there's protest. There's bad book flippers on both sides. <laughs> yeah. They're all very fine people. <laughs> LaRouche and New Solidarity egged on all this violence. A spokesperson said, quote, the Red Communist Party has turned into a den of yellow cowards. A headline from New Solidarity exclaimed, CP recruiting pallbearers for its own funeral. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and even former opponents of the Communist Party, including the SWP and other Trotskyists, defended the Communist Party from these NCLC attacks. In response, NCLC declared them all fair game. Isn't that also a Scientology term? I believe that it had is... something to do with, like... If you ever said anything bad about Scientology, they had an entire bureaucratic filing system on you and called you fair game for going after legally in any way. Yeah, that is totally true and strange given that this is totally not a cult. No, not at all. Yeah, Yeah, not at all. So I I don't see any results. Who knows? (laughs) But just as quickly as Operation Mop Up started, LaRouche called the whole thing off before the Communist Party could mount an effective counterattack. Classic. Instead, he declared victory and moved on. (laughs) Nice. Basically, his, re- his reasoning seemed to be that it wasn't going as effectively as he would have wanted. And the Communist Party was kind of getting wise to their tactics. But before they could really figure out how to deal with this, they were just like, we won. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> and Dennis King in his book argues that it was indeed a success because destroying the Communist Party wasn't really the point. Quote, it induced his followers to believe that those they had attacked and who had fought back were permanently the enemy. No longer were non-NCLC leftists seen as rivals within the common Marxist tradition. They had become unredeemable devils, traitors to the working class, subhuman police agents, fascists. Mop-up thus marked a bizarre new stage in the NCLC's political evolution, the stage of anti-fascist fascism. <laughs> so Antifa fa then got it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Antifa fa la la. Yeah. Antifa fa. Exactly. 
All right, so that's Operation Mop Up. So the second part of this strategy was the ego stripping. Mm. But before we get into that, we need to get into the psychology of women. And I think this is something we need to really appreciate. Especially since International Women's Day yeah, happened, I believe. Yeah, good point. Yeah, International Women's Day. we got to so go into LaRouche's is, enlightened comments about them. Yeah, LaRouche is just really ahead of his time in terms of the psychology <laughs> of women. So here are some of his incredibly progressive ideas. According to LaRouche, most women were lesbians and only married men to hurt them. Well, of course. So clearly <laughs> that's, true. That's clearly right. True. And in fact, during the programming, LaRouche says that unlike men, women aren't affected when their torturers call their father a queer or a woman because, quote, in women, homosexuality is much more accepted and easily taken among women than men. Most women are to a large degree homosexual in this society. The relationship between daughter and mother is homosexual. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So basically, LaRouche had the same attitude towards women as a red-pilled teenager after a bad breakup. <laughs> what if I told you, Neil, that the red pill is bullshit? What if I told you everything on 4chan isn't true? And what if I told you Dave Rubin is a moron? What then would you do, Neil? What then would you do? He'd probably take the red pill anyway because he's an idiot. <laughs> There really should be like a crossover movie between Idiocracy and Matrix. Yeah, it'd be called the Asterix, you know, and that's all it was for two hours. A simulated ass farting. Yeah, but but at the very end, they'd pull out the butt plug and you'd realize it was a computer generated simulated world. The ass was living in the whole time. Oh, my Lord. What a twist. Oh, man. We're getting ahead of ourselves, really. All right, now after that, you know, very enlightened discussion about women, it's time for the real ego stripping. Yes, finally. So LaRouche recognized the importance of deprogramming, this is another term for ego stripping, the members. LaRouche told NCLC members who exhibited any fear or hesitation during Operation Mop-Up that this was due to psychosexual fears. Quote, I'm going to make you organizers by taking your bedrooms away from you. What I shall do is to expose you to the cruel fact of your sexual impotence. I will take away from you all hope that you could flee the terrors of politics to the safety of, quote, personal life. Ooh. I shall do this by showing to you that your frightened personal sexual life contains for you such terrors as the outside world could never offer you. I will thus destroy your rabbit holes, mental as well as physical. I shall destroy your sense of safety in the place to which you ordinarily imagine you can flee. I shall not pull you back from fleeing, but rather destroy the place to which you would attempt to flee. I mean, say what you will. You can't call LaRouche a SJW, you know, safe spaces be damned in this leftist organization. <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ. No, he's he's oh, destroying no. every safe space he can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your physical rabbit holes as well, by the way. So if you've, if you've created a rabbit hole physically, the little hole in the ground, he's coming for that as Gone. well. Gone. Yep. By the way, go to nundarecalledordinary.com to watch Forrest's movie, The Burrow. Yeah. Uh, not a rabbit Speaking hole, ra but not rabbit. The next best thing. At the very end, <laughs> LaRouge destroys his burrow. That's uh, I'm going to give away the, the plot there. Oh, yeah, it's a it's good very, it's a good uh, metaphor for the this all this nonsense. So what exactly was ego stripping? How did it work? Well, during an ego stripping session, a random NCLC member would be subject to a barrage of insults and attacks from the rest of the membership. The goal was to induce a, quote, psychic liberation. Now, how did you know you got psychically liberated? Well, you knew this happened the moment the victim broke down and started sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> At this moment, the individual, quote, abruptly breaks free as if from a drug state. A sudden personality change occurs in which the group sees the real person come forth. 
assume control of himself or herself and bring the ego state under control. Ego stripping was, quote, an act of social love. <laughs> also, you know, since this is ego stripping, am I supposed to throw dollar bills at someone's ego or something? Like, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I don't okay. think there were any private ego stripping sessions. I think it was all <laughs> public. So Damn. NCLC member Christine Burrow had a slightly different take on these ego stripping sessions. She called them pure psychological terror <laughs> that turned NCLC members into, quote, sniveling informers vying with each other for LaRouche's approval. This explains why LaRouche would give himself the nickname Der Abschulischer or the Abominable One. <laughs> exactly. His heart was cold as ice like the Abominable Snowman. Yeah, you know, exactly. Which is a real creature, and I'm sure we'll do a episode on the uh, OGAS eventually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's oh, right. Yeah. But there were more than just fear lurking in the minds of NCLC membership. There were all sorts of pit creatures, as LaRouche called them, including impotence, homosexuality, zombie states, and madness just general madness <laughs> just your general madness so, okay so we've got operation mop up we've got ego stripping and now we have to move on to what was called the great manchurian candidate scare the fear that larouche pumped into his members that he was going to be assassinated <clears throat> yes dun 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 so LaRouche also alleged a large-scale CIA psychosexual brainwashing plot. He explains in a speech he gave in New York City on January 3rd, 1974, quote, We are now in the second phase of a psy war game designed by the CIA, that is, a psychological warfare game conducted on a scale of four continents in which the CIA is playing psychological warfare with an organization, the Labor Committee. That's what this is about. Exactly. And there was a nice article in the New Solidarity about this. It discussed this plot called Injunction Against CIA Mental Genocide. Yeah, mental genocide. <laughs> it's as real and worrisome as white genocide. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but hold up. You are likely wondering, what was phase one? Well, quote, phase one was to test our capability to deal with the threat of assassination. LaRouche said that he and others have passed that test. Okay, so there's also Operation Paranoia and Operation Chaos and Confusion, which both seem to be working very successfully because I'm lost as fuck. So. <laughs> Been paranoid and confused for so long, it's not true. Wanted to get the program, but only got chaos from you. Lots of commies talk them up, but few of them know. The soul of LaRouche was created below. <laughs> LaRouche. <laughs> so in his speech, LaRouche lets the audience know that the KGB tried to assassinate him. But don't worry, because he says it's nothing compared to being brainwashing, being brainwashed torture by the CIA. So, you know, I'm just imagining I'm someone as important as LaRouche and a KGB agent is just about to assassinate me and feeling relief like, oh, thank God, at least I'm not getting brainwashed by the CIA right now. Okay, so anyway, want to know where the uh, KGB fits in? Any KGB fans out there? Putin lovers, anyone? No? Okay. Uh, com comrade, all I hear is crickets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, LaRouche explains in his speech, quote, the KGB has in this operation since the period of mop up here in particular has been planning this move for years. If you want to know why Bob Dylan spelled D-I-L-L-O-N isn't in the organization anymore, ask the CIA what happened in Iran. 
By the way, it's Bob Dilettante, Lyndon. Jesus fucking Christ, get it right. Yeah. So LaRouche also explains, quote, there are also KGB programs inside the CIA. As a matter of fact, the CIA probably has more KGB agents working for it than the KGB has CIA agents. The Russians have done one good job in penetrating the CIA. So that's one aspect of the thing. End quote. If they if if they did such a good job of penetrating our intelligence agencies, why do they say there was Russian collusion in our elections though? Right? Come on. I mean, that's just part of the psyops mindfuck a centrist idiot like you just couldn't understand. That's true. I am brainwashed. So he continues for some reason. Quote: If you want to know what the Alice Weitzman case is about, ask the CIA what happened to Bob Dylan. In Iran, ask why 55 Perry Street was on the program, that is, Joanne Joseph's home. Why 55 Perry Street was the address, the emergency address for White to call to actuate an assassination of me. You know, guys, I don't think it's just a coincidence that we made a Bob Dylan parody song and now LaRouche is talking about Bob Dylan. I mean, well, Bob Dylan spelled D-I-L-L-O-N. But still, something is afoot. You know, I think <laughs> Nostradamus, Hitler, Hister, same same kind of thing going on. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. but we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So how does brainwashing even work? LaRouche educates us. Quote, oh. you find every vulnerability of that person from a psychoanalytical standpoint. Now the next thing you do is you build them up for fear in males and females of homosexuality. Aim them for an anal identification with anal sex. Their mouth is identified with fellatio. Their mouth is identified only with the penis, that kind of sex, and with woman. Womanhood is the fellatio of the male mouth in a man who has been brainwashed by the KGB that is sucking penises. So I'm curious if you guys know, <laughs> no laughter. I'm curious if you guys know, did LaRouche ever get married? What a catch. I, yeah, he was married twice, actually. You know, so incels, oh, okay. don't give up. You know, if LaRouche could do it, yeah. God damn it, yep. you can too. <laughs> That's true. All I'm saying is maybe this shouldn't be the first thing on your OkCupid profile. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a few paragraphs down is all I'm saying. Or Tinder. I don't know if anyone uses OkCupid anymore. <laughs> I don't know if you can fit that much information on the Tinder or the Tinder profile. So, oh, that's, that's well, you have to you, your profile picture on Tinder has to be you holding up this paragraph. Yes, <laughs> let everyone know the kind of person you are. Larouche goes on to tell us this charming tale of a Russian quote man of great dignity who was discovered one morning sucking a pig's penis. This was due to the CIA programming. You see, in the words of Larouche, quote, he was receiving a reward what's called, quote, freedom, or svavada, for having completed a part of his assignment for the CIA, a man of dignity degraded to bestiality with no control of himself, running around the streets screaming, control codes, keys, codes, quote, cancel me, cancel me. Which, by the way, is exactly what Filmstruck streaming service said to me on nearly a daily basis for a year or so. I mean, Brent, you mean Filmstuck? Oh, oh yes. it was the best. Burn. It was the best catalog of cinema ever. But you needed a three billion megabyte per second bandwidth just to use it. They're just elitists. They didn't want people with you know crummy internet connections. Like, you didn't deserve <laughs> to watch exactly. these films. So continuing with the quote, quote, you know what that means? It means a code bearer has gone out of control. And for 24 to 36 hours, he laid on a bed in a room, alternating between the desire to die and the desire to strangle to death any leading member of the LC who came near him. He's a man whose secondary object has been to use his only capacity, his strong arms. 
to strangle someone to death from me on down, a man reduced to merely a pair of arms without a brain of his own. So the He-Man character, man at arms in his truest form, I guess. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, and yeah, it's the CIA is putting the black vortex inside this man's mind. So what does it feel like to be brainwashed, you may ask? Well, the Rouge tells us, quote, think down, think down your colon. Go along that transverse colon. Go down the descending colon. Come to the sigmoid. There's where you are. That's you. You're nothing. Wow. Oh, wow. That, that is <laughs> so deep. I mean, deep in my colon, but deep still. Yeah, like, yeah. I actually just think that's just like the outcome if you meditate too much, like you delve too far inward. Yeah. Just down into the sigmoid. So he continues with caution, quote, I won't repeat the phrasing because if anyone has had a programming experience, if there's a sleeper in the audience, he would freak out. <laughs> and I'm actually personally not 100% sure uh, Dylan, you or Forrest are sleepers, so I don't want to trigger that you know, and have you come after me. I've decided not to continue with the phrasing here. So okay, good. Skip yeah, well, yep. I'm sorry, but Brent, um, Brent, were you quoting LaRushkin? I'm sorry, I feel so sleepy. Yeah. Oh, oh no, oh no, come back to us, come back Shit, to us, this is how it starts. Oh, oh god. Oh. Okay, so LaRoche explains that it's not the pain that brainwashes people, saying, quote, what kills you is when you eat excrement as a way of inducing your torturer to lay off the pain <laughs> and permitting a bottle to be inserted in your anus and sitting on it, a sitting on it, a chair for hours while interrogation continues as a way of avoiding greater pain, lying on the floor and whining like a puppy, eating excrement, having a program to eat your own excrement. <laughs> exactly, because you don't want to be unorganized. We need to set up a strict regimen here so we know who gets to eat their own excrement, when they eat it, and for how long. We can't just wing this. Yes. It's got to be yeah, structured. Exactly. So, please. So, anyway, continuing the quote. Being reduced to an eight-cycle infinite loop with lookup table with homosexual bestiality. Mm. <laughs> so gross. That is just so much worse than heterosexual bestiality. Man, well, you yeah, know, what's the world coming to? Back in my day, we only fucked female <laughs> animals. But this, man, <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't understand kids these days, man. It's disgusting. I do oh, think man. at some Ugh. point in Texas... It was illegal to engage in homosexual sodomy, but it was right, legal to engage in bestiality. So this yes. isn't that wow. far off from reality, unfortunately. Wow. Also about this quote, this uh, eight cycle infinite loop with lookup table with homosexual bestiality. <laughs> there was a New York Times article on the Roosh in 1974, I believe, and they actually got a computer expert to evaluate this statement. Which I'm really glad they did. Oh, and nice. the expert concluded that LaRouche's vocabulary was out of date around 1962, which is coincidentally when LaRouche left the computer industry. Oh. <laughs> but of course, the phrase homosexual bestiality was definitely in the lexicon in 1974. So that part is totally accurate. <laughs> you know, this kind of reminds me of how Joseph Smith used the vocabulary style of the King James Bible for the Book of Mormon. I mean, these cult leaders just never learn. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, they got it. You got to be up to date. You got to, you know, stick with the yeah. new lingo if you're going to be a yeah. cult leader. So anyway, how's everyone feeling out there? Having a snack? Are you eating? So get ready for this. Here's some more eating your own excrement. Quote, there are ways in which, say, pills can be inserted in the rectum. And when you get to a certain stage in your program, you make a bowel movement of a certain type with a certain kind of psychosomatic feeling. This disgorges at least one of the two poison pills. You eat your excrement. That way you get the poison in your system. <laughs> this is seriously some weird twisted remake of the Matrix pill scene, but... 
it's also you know just standard practice. Unfortunately, the 21 day eating excrement weight loss program never really caught on. So I mean, I'm sure you can walk into Barnes Noble and find a yeah. stupid book about that. <laughs> I'm sure it's there. Uh, super. This is a very Barnes Noble heavy podcast, but yeah, I think we're just are deprogramming yeah. ourselves about all the Our, pain uh, that was caused by Barnes Noble. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that Matrix pill scene, you know, we've talked about the red pill. Yeah. There's also even the black pill. I think this is the brown pill. I think this is the <laughs> next stage in the pill coloration scheme. Which which suppository uh-huh. will you take, Neo? <laughs> so during programming, the torturers often show their subject pictures of people having sex with dogs and sheep saying, quote, wouldn't you like to do that? How about this dog? How's this picture? Oh, don't tempt me. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so maybe like me at this point, you're getting grossed out here and thinking, you know, I don't care. Just let them brainwash me at this point. It can't be any worse. It cannot be any worse than eating my own shit and talking about the Barnes Noble bathroom anymore. Fuck my brain. Take it. Fuck thinking. I don't care. Well, anyway, LaRouche wards against this anti-thinking thinking, quote, But I ask you, if you don't care about thinking, I ask you to contemplate the high-voltage electroconvulsive shock therapy. I ask you to contemplate eating shit as a way to getting less pain. I ask you to contemplate sucking a penis as a way of getting less pain. I ask you to contemplate sitting for hours with a bottle shoved up your rectum as a way of easing pain. You know, can, so. can anything, seriously though, can anything be beyond the highest threshold of pain than getting a bottle shoved up your ass or being forced to sit on it for hours? I mean, personally, I think I just take whatever pain was being thrown at me at the time and just decline that trade. Jesus oh, Christ. God. Yeah, yeah, I think, Ugh. yeah. Yeah, that's the that's as worse as it gets. Oh, yeah. So want to know how this whole program will end? Well, like this. Zavoda, you're free. The person goes into a final total character, sort of step and fetch and homosexual act. <laughs> Feeling, wheeling, gunslinging. <laughs> non- okay. Um, <laughs> went full Sarah Palin there for a second. Um, pathetic, worse, like a dead cow. It begins to die. He's free. Automatic crematoria. <laughs> no gas ovens required. The person is programmed to self-destruct. That's his freedom. You know, he really does sound like the president this country needs. Oh, wait, we actually already have that. You know, so. I mean, it's we got flippant analogies to the Holocaust, denigration of homosexuals, and pure gibberish all in one paragraph. You know, I got to say, I got, I'm pretty impressed. I got to say. it's Yeah, it is impressive. Yeah, it's beautiful. And by the way, that... That homophobia is not going to end anytime soon, so I hope you're ready for more. (laughs) Also, LaRouche states he has the scoop on one of the, quote, nastiest, most vicious CIA operations, the Brainwashing Institutes of Sweden. It's a great place to go for a vacation, but don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. You may come back a man or a woman. You may come back also as a Swede. Oh, God, that would be the best. (laughs) That would be terrible. (laughs) Okay, and just a few things here. By the way, the British international socialists are evil scum. Well, obviously, limey, crummy bastards. That's just, yeah. Bunch of David Humeans over there. (laughs) The worst. Disgusting. Oh, and by the way, if you're being programmed, don't even bother telling the cops. They cannot help you. In fact, they will probably arrest you instead. Also, don't bother going to the press. Otherwise, known as the enemy of the people. They are useless, (laughs) too. They are useless, too. LaRouche explains, quote, And even the New York Post, which broke the damn thing, had been approached on Sunday and told, quote, get down here immediately. We have a fresh brainwash case with a possible assassination. We invite you to come in and make a full investigation of the facts of the matter, they said on Sunday. Well, we refuse. 
Our management does not intend to do this. You know, we already have our. God, lead you mean story. they got a yeah. story? You mean someone called them and said we have a fresh brainwash case and they for the possible yeah. assassination, and they refused to yes. just investigate that? That yep. is disgusting. It's bullshit. It's terrible. And yeah, they already had their lead story, which was face tattooed mumble rapper dates Kanye Kardashian Snapchat influencer. So that was their main story they were going with that day. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That's how the brainwashing is really <laughs> happening. So I mean, <laughs> I think true. they were. I think they went with the right direction. Yeah. 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 LaRouche mentions he cracked the case of Constantin George, who was brainwashed in, quote, an attempt to infiltrate the West German Labor Committee in August of 1973. LaRouche states, quote, they don't understand anything about the mind. They are only the plumbers of the mind. This is not to take anything away from plumbers. A plumber has the sense not to install pipes in the head and expect the human being to work. As a matter of fact, we'd be, <laughs> we'd be much better off if some of our plumbers would become psychologists and some of our brainwashers would become plumbers. Maybe they'd flush it. This is, this is nice. I'm glad he, he felt the need to make this aside <laughs> that he's not insulting plumbers. That's good. Uh, it's like, <laughs> because they don't install pipes in people's right. heads. That's and, his compliment. <laughs> And like that giant paragraph of just a long thing of bad advice just to get to one really bad joke. That's that's impressive. Yeah, I yep, like it. Yep. And so we've got, you know, we've got all of this programming theory, if you will, a psychological all everything Brent said was true. Of course. Uh, let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> and so now we're going to get to the first case where we have a real clear description of LaRouche putting this into practice. And that's the deprogramming of one Christopher White, who actually married uh, Carol Schnitzer, who, if you'll remember earlier, was LaRouche's longtime girlfriend. Mm. And I think Brent has more on that deprogramming session. Yes, LaRouche explains that Christopher White was brainwashed in two steps. Quote, he was brainwashed by the CIA to simulate a brainwashed KGB agent. And also, he was brainwashed by the British government to simulate a brainwashed KGB agent. To understand, you yourself might be brainwashed, but let's, you know, let's let LaRoche clarify here. Quote, the way this was done, he was marked out, targeted. He was referred to a school that was open. When he got to the school, there were never any children, except on pictures, used as a part of his conditioning. There was never a class. He never taught a class. Each day, at the end of the day, he'd go home his personality gradually changing. The next day, each day in due course, he went to work, his personality gradually changing. This went on five or so days a week for 17 weeks. And then after this was completed, he was picked up last week, drugged again, and subjected to 12 hours of final conditioning and put in a psychotic state for shipment to me in the United States under contract for delivery by the CIA. Okay? Okay. 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 <laughs> That's, yeah, in the speech, you know, he's like, bureaucracy, okay. the red tape and bureaucracy in the government, it even extends to their brainwashing programs. You'd think they would, you know, make some work to make this a bit more efficient. Well, apparently, quote, the British government asked an airline, British Caledonian, to sabotage the engines of one of its own planes, a plane on which Mr. White was presumed to be traveling, but which he, in fact, never boarded. Instead, the plane was returned to the airport to give a 12-hour cover to the absence of white to allow for final conditioning. The cover was that he was teaching every day, as we mentioned earlier. He wasn't teaching every day. He was being brainwashed. Ooh. So that's very different than teaching. Yeah. So this programming of poor Christopher White happened between September 17th 
and December 17th, 1973. Oh, wait, and also, just so we're crystal spheres clearer here, according to LaRouche, quote, some character named Trevor in England was responsible for doing some of the fingering work to set him up for the operation, an Irishman named Trevor. Thank God he wasn't British. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Gross. So LaRouche actually taped the deprogramming, which is part of why we know so much about it. And that tape features both weeping and vomiting. Oh, a two-for-one deal. Oh, yeah, you get a twofer. Throughout the deprogramming, White complains of being deprived of sleep, food, and cigarettes. Oh, no! One even (laughs) hears someone say, raise the voltage. But LaRouche (laughs) insisted this had to do with the lights and not electric shock. Well, I mean, sure. You know, when Dr. Frankenstein told Igor, raise the voltage, Igor, surely he only meant for him to turn up the dimmer switch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's like, that's exactly how I talk when I'm at home. You know, I ask someone to turn on the lights when I can't see. I say, hey, please raise the voltage. (laughs) That's intense. Also on this tape, apparently there's an attempt by someone who's not LaRouche to hypnotize White. Ooh, maybe as a ghost. Could have been a ghost. Welcome, safety scissors strikes again. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a ghost. (laughs) Despite all of this, LaRouche insisted that White was not mistreated. There was even a doctor, Dr. Gene Inch, present during the whole session. A New York Times reporter in the 70s got a hold of this deprogramming tape, and it was supposed to be evidence like of LaRouche saying, see, like, look, like, there really is an assassination plot against me, and these people really are being brainwashed. (laughs) But the New York Times reporter was less than impressed. Quote, to a layman, it appears obvious that the elements of the conspiracy he claims to extract from Mr. White's mind are either harmless bits of personal history or ideas suggested by Mr. LaRouche himself. I don't know. I, I, I find the audio tape transcript pretty impressive. I mean, I'm surprised that LaRouche didn't receive detailed instructions on propulsion dynamics or UFOs, <laughs> quite frankly, from this. Yeah method so yeah that would yeah he just he didn't have the level of obviousness detection that (laughs) paul potter had so you know he had his own agenda and it really shows there's a few other bits of gold on this deprogramming tape at one point mr white resisted the questioning and larue shouted you don't have to communicate a goddamn thing i know what your mind is (laughs) isn't that like at the ending of barton fink when uh um, when uh, John Goodman's like running through the hallway saying, I'll show you the life of the mind. It's like what I'm imagining. It might be, but I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> oh, another, another reference yeah. you don't know. Uh, no, I don't get any of these references. <laughs> and then uh, at another point, Mr. White confirms one of LaRouche's suggestions and he says, now do you see Carol? Do you believe? <laughs> <laughs> the guy, guy, I got to say, I believe at this point. So I'm leaving the podcast. I know I just joined and I'm going to start my new life and I'm going to burn a union jack. That's my first thing nice. that I'm going to do. Nice. You just got to send that send that video to a LaRouche pack and they'll, yeah. they'll just eat it right up. Yeah. Also during interrogation, White complained about a terrible pain in his arm. LaRouche replied, that's not real. That's the program. <laughs> And in response, White screamed, the pain is real in my arm. I have to tell you what's real and stop this crazy fantasy world because it's not my fantasy. Wow. (laughs) You know, I don't think LaRouche is being unreasonable. He just takes a very skeptical view of the philosophical problem of other minds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just a, he's an eliminative materialist, so he doesn't think pain really exists. Yes. Okay, so what would it mean if Mr. White's mind was fully deprogrammed? LaRouche tells us. 
Mr. White's full recovery would enormously strengthen the evidence we already possess on the conspiracy of the CIA to overthrow the existing government and constitution of the United States. I mean, that's for that's yes. we know that for sure. Yeah. So that's it. we know that wow. for sure. So holy shit, we had Operation Mop Up. We had the ego stripping sessions, and now we've got the deprogramming. So now the NCLC is primed for the extreme right-wing turn it would make after 1974. But for that, you'll have to wait for the next episode because we are done for part one of Lyndon LaRouche. So, Forrest, Brent, what did you learn about Mr. LaRouche? What did you find most interesting? Well, what what I find really interesting is that it seems like all the main tropes that conspiracy theorists believe now, like, you know, the Rockefellers are controlling this, the this, and this, it all, and the British government, that's even kind of, you kind of hear these things echoed in all sorts of these, you know, conspiracies today. So this guy really is like a godfather um, character that is really interesting to me. And I would say also the other thing that was uh, interesting to me is his obsession with bottles up asses, which is very odd. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, he had really extensive descriptions very of detail. The, that uh, was psychosexual torture. He thought about it for a long time. A good portion of my research was just a lot of horrible imagery about bottles and asses and things like that so that was not fun but yeah that's good that's what you're bringing to the <laughs> podcast we need someone to do that bottle <laughs> in ass research has to. and you're the man he, for the job war needs it gets out Your science degree is really yeah. coming in handy yeah he died he didn't want to die for you know he had to die for something but go ahead so i didn't so much learn something as it just reinforces how important critical thinking is like yes. in all seriousness because even going back to like the paul potter book for example one of the things that happens is if you get stuck in sort of the machinery of self de- self deception with mm-hmm. the rabbit hole of you know nonsense, um, you can lose sight of like where is the source of this information. So if like the Paul Potter episode, you know we're not engineers and we're not physicists, but we can speak to the sources of information of where he got his uh, where he makes these claims. And right. the same thing with like the Lyndon Larouche thing and cults in general is you always got to be able to step back a bit and get away from the claims that are being made by the specific person and look at it from the point of view of like, well, where, where is this information even originating from? Why should I believe this kind of information? So yeah, um, I guess it just reinforces that and how important that is. I also find it interesting, all the breakup of like the schismatic, it's all it's just so interesting to me how they all just break off and shatter and peel off into different names of organizations and they're all infighting and you're not the purest of the pure and whatnot. Yeah. And how at the time all these groups felt they were doing something incredibly important. They yeah. felt there was going to be a Marxist communist uprising in the United States. And when right. you look back on it, it just seems really silly. Yeah. It just seems like people literally just people holding meetings and coming up with different names <laughs> for their meetings. <laughs> It's like, they're not, you know, like, are you serious? Like, this isn't going to happen. I mean, they really believed in it at the time. In all fairness, Marx's own prophecies about uh, socialism also (laughs) didn't quite go according to the way he said either. I like how the the catering community had to be just like booming during this time, too. Like, that was a good market. (laughs) Just catering all these places with finger sandwiches. It's like, wow. That's the key. Like, (laughs) if you want to... The key to a successful business is find a bunch of losers who are like arguing amongst themselves and find a way to profit no matter which of the losers wins. And catering is definitely an example of that. I think going along with what Forrest said, I also think with the critical thinking discussion, how it wasn't as if these students were 
convinced in an intellectual way that LaRouche right. was right. Right. And how I think too often that is the, that's the format people suggest for, well, if people believe these nutty things, how do we convince them? And it's, well, it's not, we have to go before that where it wasn't as if they were convinced. They were exactly in LaRouche's right. cases in a very serious way. They were brainwashed. They were put into the siege mentality of us versus them. They were insulted and denigrated. And, you know, I think there's a smaller version of that happening when someone, for example, falls into a YouTube hole right. and watches hours and hours and hours of Flat Earth or Holocaust denial or or what have you. Yeah, it's not like they're being convinced. They're being hypnotized, I think, yes. in, in a sense. That, that's, that's what I meant by if you're just kind of presented this rabbit hole of ideas and you're not approaching it from a critical thinking perspective then it's easy to just get caught up into it. And then, like I said, the machinery of self-deception just starts going. Yeah. And then every claim you hear, you're able to fit that into this worldview in this uh, highly uncritical way. And so that, I, I would hope, I hope that we're here to help in a small way to, you know, call out when the emperor doesn't have any clothes and to, to laugh at the fact that he's naked. Yes. <laughs> um, and so with that, we are done with this episode. And just a reminder, you can find us on our website, nonedarecallitordinary.com. You can find links to all our previous episodes. You can find links to all the sources we use for all of our episodes. And now you can find a place on our website to, uh, to donate to the podcast. Right now, we are accepting cryptocurrency donations. And you can find all of our public addresses at nonedarecallitordinary.com slash donate. You will also find links to our Twitter and Instagram pages, and those are at Twitter at NDCIO and on Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary. Lastly, on our website, you can contact us. We love hearing from our listeners, and our email address is none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. And recently, at the suggestion of someone who contacted us, People would like to send encrypted emails is what I'm trying to say. And so we actually also created a ProtonMail account, and that is ordinary at ProtonMail.com. So if you send an email to us and you also have a ProtonMail account, that will automatically be encrypted in case you don't feel comfortable using a regular email service. And with that, we are done. done.